to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you again on another episode of Vitality Radio. If you like what you hear, go tell somebody. I'd love to get the word out to more and more people, especially during these crazy times. We're in the midst of the COVID-19 coronavirus 2020 scare and uh, things are locked down all over the world. I've never seen anything like it, and I know you haven't either. So uh, crazy times, and I think it's time, it's, it is a time, let's say, that people are looking for more information, more education on what they can do about their immune system, what they can do to take care of themselves. As you know, if you're a regular listener, I've been focusing a lot on immune health of late, and today's show will be no different, although I'm going to focus very heavily on one single nutrient today because it is getting beat up in the mainstream media, and it needs to be given the light of day so that we can utilize it in this fight against coronavirus and, frankly, for just overall health and well-being. Today's show is going to be a little bit different than what we uh, what I normally do. I normally start the show with a rant and then go into more of a primary topic. Today, I'm going to start the show with a rant that's going to evolve into the primary topic that's then going to be a little bit more of a rant at the end of that topic. And then if I have time, and I hope I do, I want to take on a couple of other things that I think are absolutely ludicrous that are going on having to do with coronavirus, COVID-19, if I have time at the end of the show. We shall see. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get on with the morning rant. In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital rant. All right, all right, all right. What am I ranting about today? We're going to rant about a vitamin. That doesn't sound like me. I like vitamins sell vitamins. But in reality, vitamins are under attack once again in the good old U.S. of A. What do I mean by that? Well, here's what happened. I decided that I was going to talk about vitamin C today, and I wasn't planning to do a rant at all. I just wanted to talk about vitamin C because there are reports, or I should say were reports coming out of China South Korea and other places saying that they were having a lot of success treating coronavirus with vitamin C. And then I found one report out of the New York Post, which I'll get to a little bit later, saying that there's a doctor right here in America treating coronavirus patients with high doses of vitamin C. And I thought that was pretty surprising because, well, 
that just usually doesn't happen in American hospitals. It's usually all about drugs and medical procedures, not so much about vitamins. But he took a cue from his uh, counterparts in China and Korea and decided that vitamin C made sense. So we're going to go into that, like I say, towards the end. But as I started digging around this morning to try to find articles specific to what was happening with vitamin C in Wuhan and other areas of China, as well as Korea and other areas of the world, I was dismayed a little bit, forgot to turn off my ringer, that, uh, yeah, it's hard to find. In fact, all I found were negative headlines, uh, headlines that said things like, why vitamin C won't boost your immune system against the coronavirus. Vitamin C does not work against coronavirus. Please don't use vitamin C to fight coronavirus. And so on and so on and so on. So I thought, well, that's a little strange because I just recently read articles saying that uh, vitamin C was being used successfully for coronavirus. Uh, just at, towards the end of February and the beginning of March, I was seeing a lot of stuff coming out on that. Now here we are at the end of March or beginning of April and uh, yeah, no vitamin C information anymore. Why is that? Well, I took a look and I found out. So let's get into this. The article that I chose is from LiveScience.com and it does say vitamin C won't boost your immune system against the coronavirus. In fact, it says why vitamin C. So she's going to answer that question. It's by Nicoletta Lenice, who is a staff writer for Life Science. And she is, uh, let's say, intellectually dishonest. How about that? I would call this uh, Life Science, based on this article, a medical uh, rag that is just spewing the normal nonsense that we hear from mainstream media when it comes to modern medicine. But, you know, let's talk about vitamin C. This article is 100% about vitamin C. It's very, very long. So I cut it down to the key elements that I thought were the most useful, but I left most of it intact. I think I only cut about 30 or 40% of the article down just to try and make it a little more concise. And I hope that this, what I've done here reading from the article and then giving you my opinion about certain statements and paragraphs and things in the article will be useful for you as you are trying to determine, you know, what you can do to actually help boost your own immune system against this virus or frankly any other immune compromise that you might be uh, concerned about. So that is the plan and uh, that is what we'll do. So we're going to start at the very top of the article, the myth, the legend. Vitamin C, also known as ascorbic acid, became known as an immune-boosting supernutrient after two-time Nobel Prize winner Linus Pauling touted the substance's supposed benefits in a series of books. Pauling claimed that taking large doses of vitamin C could not only prevent the common cold, but also help thwart more severe illnesses like cancer and heart disease. Now, this is a guy who got two Nobel Prizes. He's clearly a pretty smart scientist. And if you're not really into health and nutrition, maybe you've not heard of Linus Pauling, but he's the real deal. Really, really great man and studied and researched vitamin C in ways nobody else ever has before or since. But since Pauling published his books in the 1970s, his bolder claims have not stood up to scientific scrutiny, according to uh, the author here. However, recent research does suggest that vitamin C supplements reduce the duration of colds in the general population. A review found that vitamin C supplements taken during a cold can reduce the duration of the illness by 8% in adults and 14% in children. Practically, that means that supplementing vitamin C can shorten the duration of a cold by maybe about one day. 
Participants in each study supplemented vitamin C for varying periods, but generally they, the daily dose that they took was at least 200 milligrams. Now, I went to the actual article that she's referencing, which is from the Cochrane Institute, one of my favorites because they seem to be far more unbiased, let's say, in their uh, summation of these studies. And what they do is they do meta-analysis. They take a bunch of different studies and kind of boil it down to try and give us the best information that they can give us. So they said in their study that 31 comparisons examined the effect of regular vitamin C on common cold duration. That was uh, over uh, almost 10,000 different episodes of the common cold. In adults, the duration of colds was reduced by 8% on average, and in children by 14% on average. Now, in children, 1 to 2 grams a day of vitamin C shortened colds by up to 18%. The severity of colds was also reduced by regular vitamin C administration. So, there's... We don't know how high the doses were. We know that they're anywhere from 200 milligrams up to about one to 2,000 milligrams. And that's the first thing I want to point out because in China, and I'll, I'll get into some detail on this in a minute, they have been using 12,000 milligrams twice a day. So we're talking a much, much more therapeutic mega dose of vitamin C that they're using against coronavirus. But still, we're talking common cold stuff. And we can see that definitely the common cold, which is a virus, is reduced by anywhere from about 8 to 18% according to these studies here in America. And what we don't know, again, is that how much vitamin C was used, but we do know that the higher dose of vitamin C, the more effective it is against the colds. Perfect example being that when they were giving kids just a few hundred milligrams, they were reducing the cold by 14%, but when they started giving them one to 2,000 milligrams, they reduced the cold by 18%. We don't know for sure, obviously, that if they gave kids 3,000 or 6,000, if those numbers would continue to increase. But it does give us an indication that more vitamin C up to some point is better than less when it comes to fighting a virus. Now, what we do know is that the National Institutes of <clears throat> Health, I'll say, it's hard for me to call it the National Institutes of <clears throat> Health because they don't seem to care about your health at all. But they're the ones that set the standard for how much vitamin C is recommended, and their recommendation is woefully low, 90 milligrams. They just increased it from 60 to 90, but 90 milligrams is a joke dose when you look at the research that's done on vitamin C, and yet that's what they're recommending because they seem to have a mission to give you just enough to keep you alive, but certainly not enough to keep you healthy. But what we also know is that on the CDC's own website, there is a study. And the study says that investigators tracked the number of reports of cold and flu symptoms among the 1991 test population and the 1990 control population. Those in the control population reporting symptoms were treated with pain relievers and decongestants, whereas those in the test population reporting symptoms were treated hourly with doses of 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C for the first six hours, so that's 6,000 milligrams of vitamin C, and then 3,000 milligrams in divided doses thereafter. Those not reporting symptoms in the test group were only administered 1,000 milligrams three times a day. Overall, reported flu and cold symptoms in the test group decreased by 85% compared with the control group after the administration of megadose vitamin C. So when we take all of that information and kind of boil it down together, what we know is that vitamin C has been very effective against the common cold and also against upper respiratory illness. 
because in the second group that I uh, talked about, they were specifically looking at respiratory illness, lung and sinus issues associated with viruses. So they included cold and flu, not just common cold in those groups. And they found an 85% reduction in symptoms, flu and cold symptoms, it says specifically with the control group that was given 6,000 milligrams of vitamin C for the first day in six divided doses, and then 3,000 milligrams a day thereafter, uh, days you know two through whatever until they were over their symptoms. So that's big. It also reduces the duration of, uh, of the cold by at least 8% in adults, and we have to assume higher than that because we know that in kids, it was 14% until they increased the dose, and then it became 18%. So probably it actually reduces it more. Now, in terms of anecdotal evidence, there's lots of it. In terms of scientific evidence, there's lots of evidence. The problem is most of the studies are based on these ridiculously low levels that the NIH uses to uh, recommend vitamin C. So a megadose is considered literally 500 milligrams or 1,000 milligrams because the NIH says you only need 90 milligrams. So in this country, whenever vitamins are tested or minerals are tested, it's always based on what the NIH has recommended as the recommended daily allowance. And then they'll go above that in most cases, but not wildly so. Again, a lot of these studies were actually done as low as 200 milligrams, which is frankly with vitamin C, not going to be an efficacious dose. And yet, even when the studies were done at 200 milligrams, they added up in the studies to be of some benefit against the cold because the average was 8% for adults, but it went from 3 to 12%. I'm making an assumption here. This is not science because I don't have the individual studies, but it said 3 to 12% was the average. My assumption would be that the 200 milligram groups were getting 3% benefit and the higher dose groups were getting 12% benefit. Hard to know for sure. What we do know is that when you wrap it all up together, we have a lot of evidence that vitamin C is very effective against viruses, specifically upper respiratory illness. COVID-19 is that type of illness. It is not something that we have actual studies on yet because it's brand new. That's why they keep calling it the novel COVID-19 virus. But we have evidence that on these types of illnesses, vitamin C is very effective. So in the conclusion of that study, vitamin C and megadoses administered before or after the appearance of cold and flu symptoms relieved and prevented the symptoms in the test population compared with the control group. Now, one of the things that's interesting too is that they have shown that vitamin C specifically does protect the lung tissue itself where COVID-19 seems to be very, very effective at tearing that down, vitamin C does have studies showing that it actually protects that tissue as well. And yet, as usual, these so-called experts dismiss actual science that doesn't add up to what? Drug therapy, right? So listen to this guy. In the same article, he says, no evidence suggests that vitamin C supplements can help prevent COVID-19. That's from Dr. William Schaffner, a professor of preventative medicine and infectious diseases at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Tennessee. He says, if there's going to be an advantage, it's going to be very modest, Schaffner said. I have a couple of issues with that statement. First off, it's William Schaffner. If it was William Shatner of Star Trek fame, that's a different story. He probably would actually get my attention a little bit more because, well, he's really funny. But William Schaffner is the wrong kind of funny. He's the kind of funny where you listen to him and you're like, oh, it's hilarious how dumb this guy must be. 
because he says there's no evidence. He says there's going to be, if there's going to be an advantage at all, it's going to be very modest. I would find that amusing if people weren't dying. But while these holier-than-thou medical talking heads dismiss evidence-based natural supplements rather than putting them to use to see if they can save people, it's not a laughing matter. This is his hypothesis, nothing more and nothing less, and it isn't even based on good science. After all, I think I was in the fourth grade when I learned that a hypothesis is an educated guess. Well, Dr. Schaffner, educate yourself or shut your mouth. Let's go back to the studies that we do have. Several of the reviewed studies included people under intense physical stress, including marathon runners and soldiers training in the Arctic. Among those individuals, those who took vitamin C were about half as likely to catch a cold as those who did not take such a supplement. But in the general population, the supplements did not prevent the common cold, it says. Now, for me, this indicates that in times of stress, our bodies need additional vitamin C which really we've known for years, as vitamin C is one of the nourishers of the central nervous system. So when we're under stress, we need more and we can assimilate more vitamin C. There are estimates that the human body can absorb up to six times more vitamin C when under stress or sick. Well, with the absurd levels of fear out there over coronavirus, compounded by job loss and a tanking economy, stress is at an all-time high in this country. Perhaps total dismissal of vitamin C as a preventative and curative option is misguided. What do you think? In Wuhan, China, epicenter of COVID-19 and a communist-controlled country, they are using vitamin C therapy with success. 12,000 milligrams twice a day in an IV. In fact, some scientists are testing vitamin C could alleviate symptoms and improve outcomes for patients with COVID-19 specifically if given in a high enough dose. And I love that they say that. That, that is great information because if given in a high enough dose matters. It's silly to think that to dismiss vitamin C and say, well, I mean, when we gave people 200 to 1,000 milligrams, it only helped with like 8 to 12% in adults and maybe 18% in kids. You know, it's not dramatic. Well, give them a dramatic amount of vitamin C and see what happens. Maybe things change a little bit. And in China, in China, they're doing just that. Why aren't we doing that in America? Any ideas? I've got some ideas, and we'll get into that in just a minute. They've actually launched a clinical trial in China with 140 patients. Uh, this started in February to test whether ultra-high doses of vitamin C delivered intravenously could treat the viral infection more effectively than a placebo. The test group will receive infusions twice a day for seven days, with each infusion containing 12 grams, that's 12,000 milligrams, of vitamin C. Unfortunately, that study won't be done until September. And that's what it is, right? We have this new virus. Now we have to wait six more months to find out if vitamin C is really effective against it in high doses. But why in China are they already doing this? Why are these approved? In fact, there are at least three clinical trials on vitamin C specifically in China that have been approved. Why are those happening there and not here? Question I don't exactly have an answer for. Okay, now back to the article. Beyond the common cold is the next headline in the article. Although supplements can't ward off the common cold. Oh, really? Is that really what she's saying here? Didn't we determine that scientifically 
It indeed can ward off the common cold to the tune of 50% less colds in stressed individuals, an 8 to 18% reduction in length of symptoms, and 85% reduction in symptoms in cold and flu patients when given higher doses of vitamin C. Didn't we just talk about all that? And then she makes this blanket statement. All those supplements can't, can't ward off the common cold, she says. Vitamin C is still important to your health. It serves essential roles in the human body and supports normal immune function. Vitamin C acts as an antioxidant, meaning it neutralizes free radicals generated by the body's normal metabolism and by exposure to environmental stressors, including ultraviolet radiation and pollution. Free radicals are charged particles that can damage cells, tissues, and genetic material if left unchecked, and thus trigger harmful inflammation. Now, this is all in her article, okay? These are not my words, these are hers. Besides stopping free radicals, vitamin C helps to activate several key enzymes in the body, which go on to synthesize hormones and build collagen, a tough protein found in skin and connective tissues. According to the 2017 report, these hormones help control the response of the cardiovascular system to severe infections, while collagen fortifies the skin against injury. Vitamin C may also bolster the fatty membranes in skin and connective tissue, thus protecting organs like the lungs from pathogens, according to cell culture and preclinical studies. When bugs do infiltrate the body, vitamin C helps direct immune cells called neutrophils to the site of infection and defends those cells against free radicals. In short, the body relies on vitamin C to launch an effective immune response while sustaining minimal damage. However, the body can't make its own vitamin C or store the nutrient efficiently, as the water-soluble vitamin dissolves once ingested and is excreted in the urine. The best way to meet your family's requirements, according to the NIH, is to consume vitamin-rich fruits, vegetables, and fortified foods. The recommended dose depends on your age, sex, pregnancy, and breastfeeding status. But in general, adult men are recommended to ingest at least 90 milligrams a day, and adult women should consume at least 75 milligrams. People who smoke should add 35 milligrams to their recommended dose, as smoking depletes the body of available vitamin C, according to the National Institutes of Health. Of course, leave it to this group of anti-health advocates at the NIH to recommend substantially less vitamin C than the studies actually show to be effective, as I stated before. Back to her words. Note that high doses of vitamin C exceeding a level of 2,000 milligrams can cause nausea, diarrhea, and abdominal pain in some people. And that was reported in Life Science previously. Okay, let's take a breath. Holy cow. How did this writer write five whole paragraphs of actual, mostly truth? I'm so proud of her here because in the first half of the article, it was mostly a bunch of, for lack of a better term, BS. But then all of a sudden there was truth. It's kind of that, uh, that old, you know, adage, uh, something about uh, if you uh, sprinkle in uh, a little truth with the lies, it's easier to swallow, spoonful of sugar kind of thing, right? Well, I think I see that so much in these articles. But she does go on through that entire thing and talk about how great vitamin C is for the immune system, how it's necessary, how it <laughs> helps uh, produce neutrophils and so on and so forth. All of which we know and all of which is being completely dismissed by scientists in America who say, well, yeah, no, I mean, vitamins, yeah, vitamin C does that, but it's not a drug. So yeah, whatever, get out of here. 
But I am proud of the fact that she put a little bit of truth in the article. Good for you. By the way, though, while vitamin C can cause stomach upset over 2,000 milligrams, that is true. If it's, called, if it's the ascorbic acid form, which is the worst form of vitamin C, actually. In some people, most people seem to be able to handle more than 2,000 milligrams. In addition, we now have far more efficient and gentle forms of vitamin C called mineral ascorbates. Most people can use substantially more of these without stomach upset. Plus, they absorb about 40% better and stay in the cells about twice as long. That's a big deal. So, in the studies, they're always going to use ascorbic acid because it's the baseline vitamin C. But we have excellent studies that have been done that prove that the ascorbate form is even more efficient. That's what's in inner C. It's what's in the new vital C that we're going to have at Vitality soon. I've been working on. It's what's in get well, stay well. It's what's in the better vitamin Cs on the market is the ascorbate form so that you do have that higher absorption and that higher retention rate with that type of vitamin C. But then after Nicoletta goes through a whole bunch of lies and half-truths and then a bunch of truth, then she kind of goes backwards again. She reverts back to an oldie, but a goodie. <laughs> oh, I if I had a dollar, you know, for every time I read statements like this in these types of articles. But let's go ahead and get to it. Back to her article. Note that no evidence suggests that other so-called immune-boosting supplements such as zinc, green tea, or echinacea help to prevent SARS-CoV-2 infections. Dr. Mark Mulligan, Division Director of the Infectious Diseases and Vaccine Center at NYU Langone Medical Center, told the New York Times, I do not recommend spending money on supplements for this purpose, Mulligan said. Of course he doesn't recommend spending money on supplements. I would say for any purpose. Because this guy, I looked him up to see where he actually comes from. His entire career has been spent researching vaccines for pharmaceutical companies. And what's the big thing that you keep hearing from the CDC, from the president, from local government and health authorities? We don't have a vaccine for COVID-19. There's no vaccine for COVID-19. It's not going to be done for a year, year and a half. And then Bill Gates talks about, oh, yeah, we'll get a vaccine for this. And all these other people. Well, why is the push for the vaccine so big? Why is that such a big deal? Why is it that people seem to have forgotten, and I'm not talking about regular people like me and you, I'm talking about scientists, scientific people. Why do they seem to have forgotten that our immune systems are flipping awesome? We have great immune systems. They are so incredibly powerful when taken care of. And in fact, the whole vaccination concept comes from this amazing thing that we have within our bodies called our immune system where if we get vaccinated, the idea is that it's going to create antibodies. And it's not the vaccine that creates the antibodies. It's the immune system's response to the vaccine. In fact, there's a lot of people questioning, and I'm one of them, why we don't necessarily want a bunch of people to get COVID-19 and then recover. Because we know that natural immunity is much, much more powerful than any other form of immunity we have. That's scientifically validated without any doubt and without any argument. But aside from that, the question is, why would Mark Mulligan, Mr. Vaccine, want to push vitamins, even if they might work? Of course he doesn't. There's too much money to lose for Mr. Mulligan. Way too much money to lose. 
Okay, as always, I promise to bring you the truth that mainstream corporate media doesn't. So here's the truth. Google and Facebook are actually actively blocking searches for natural alternatives for coronavirus. Remember I said at the very beginning, I can't find hardly anything online about vitamin C and how it's being used in Wuhan and in Korea and other parts of the country for, or sorry, other parts of the world or this country for that matter, how vitamin C is being used against coronavirus and with success from the stuff I read a month ago when I could find that stuff. Well, February 21st, they had a meeting. The CDC, or not the CDC, the FTC and the FDA had a meeting with Google and Facebook and said, we got to shut this stuff down. Let's look and see what that actually sounds like. This is from uh, the orthomolecular.org, which is a, a really great website, mostly dedicated to the research of vitamin C to carry on what Linus Pauling started 70 years ago. News of vitamin C research for COVID-19 is being actively suppressed. Anyone saying that vitamin therapy can stop coronavirus is already being labeled as promoting false information and promulgating fake news. Even the sharing of verifiable news and direct quotes from credentialed medical professionals is being restricted or blocked on social media. You can see uh, sequential examples of this phenomenon on many Facebook pages of people who have been promoting vitamin C as a viable alternative for coronavirus. Indeed, the World Health Organization has literally met with Google and Facebook and other media giants to stop the spread of what they declare to be wrong information. Physician-directed, hospital-based administration of intravenous vitamin C has been marginalized or discredited. Scientific debate over COVID-19 appears not to be allowed. Ironically, Facebook blocking any significant user sharing of the news of approved vitamin therapy research is itself blocked in China by the Chinese government. I want to go backwards here and read that again because I actually had to read it three times to make sure I understood what it was saying, okay? Facebook in America and many other parts of the world is blocking significant users sharing the news of approved vitamin therapy research. And in China, they're blocking the blocking of that information. They have the internet in China. It is censored heavily. Remember, we're talking about a communist country. But significantly, the Chinese government has not blocked this real news on how intravenous vitamin C will save lives in COVID-19 epidemic. So here we are in the land of the free, home of the brave, and we can't get information on Facebook and Google about vitamin C therapy for COVID-19, but in China, communist China, their citizens have access to that information. Does that seem backwards to you? The medical monopoly in this country is so incredibly powerful that if you want to ever research stuff that goes against what their standard is, it's getting harder and harder to do. I have run into more censorship over the last two years of doing Vitality Radio than I ever did the first nine years of doing this show. It is harder and harder for me to find this information. In fact, I've had to go to, I use DuckDuckGo now as my search engine instead of Google. I have to go to alternative search engines just to try and uncover this information. 
It is literally being censored as if we were in a Chinese communist dictatorship. Now let that sink in for a minute. I'm in Bountiful, Utah, not Wuhan, China, and I don't have access to the information I need to protect my health and my family's health on the internet. Something is seriously sick and wrong about that. Medical orthodoxy, this is the, from orthomolecular.org again. Medical orthodoxy obsessively focuses on searching for a vaccine and or drug for coronavirus COVID-19. While they are looking for what would be fabulously profitable approaches, we have with vitamin C an existing, plausible, clinically demonstrated method to treat what coronavirus patients die from severe acute respiratory symptoms or syndrome or pneumonia. And it is available right now. And now my words. And here is the problem. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We can't wait for studies to be done specifically on COVID-19 to determine what might kill or prevent it. All we have are previous studies that have been done that prove efficacy and safety of vitamins such as vitamin C. If it is safe, and literally nobody says that it isn't, if it is safe, and if it will probably help, even if only a little, but it has the potential to literally be the cure, then why is it being suppressed and those touting it being demonized? Nobody touting vitamin C can get rich off of selling it. It's everywhere, and it's cheap, and there are no patents available for it. There is no alternate agenda here. It is one set of honest scientists fighting for truth against a machine that is made up of the mainstream media, government, and pharmaceutical companies, and now they even have Facebook and Google in their arsenal. And that's not okay. That's not health freedom, what I fight for every week on Vitality Radio. But alas, there is a silver lining, a little bit of good news here. According to the New York Post, in an article that is very hard to find now, but that I found a few weeks ago, seriously sick coronavirus patients in New York State's largest hospital system are being given mega doses of vitamin C based on promising reports that it has helped people in hard-hit China. Dr. Andrew G. Weber, who is, in my opinion, an absolute I don't, I don't know anything about him but this, but he is a savior for these people. He's a pulmonologist and critical care specialist affiliated with two Northwell Health facilities in Long Island. Said his intensive care patients with the coronavirus immediately receive 1,500 milligrams of intravenous vitamin C. Identical amounts of the powerful antioxidants are then readministered three to four times a day. So he's given them about 4,500 to 6,000. Not what they're doing in Wuhan, but a legitimately good dose of vitamin C. Congratulations, Dr. Weber. Each dose is more than 16 times what the NIH daily recommended dietary allowance is. The regimen is based on experimental treatments administered to people in Wuhan, China. Dr. Weber said that the patients who received vitamin C did significantly better than those who did not get vitamin C. It helps a tremendous amount, but it is not highlighted because it's not a sexy new drug. His words, not mine. Andrew Weber, you are a man in the system willing to speak up and willing to do what it takes to make your patients well, and I honor you for that. 
It's so good to see there are still some people out there doing the right thing. A spokesman for Northwell, which operates 23 hospitals, including Lenox Hill Hospital on Manhattan's Upper East Side, said vitamin C was being widely used as a coronavirus treatment throughout the system, but noted that medication protocols varied from patient to patient. As the clinician decides, says Jason Mullinette. Now, I think that that's very interesting because the truth of the matter is, we're in a really interesting position with coronavirus. There is what is known as the standard of care in medicine in America. But there is no standard of care for coronavirus. Nobody knows what the standard of care is. So there's some leeway for these physicians to actually think outside the box and do things that make sense as opposed to just doing what they're constantly told they have to do. And Andrew Weber is doing just that. About 700 patients are being treated for coronavirus across the hospital network, Molinette said, but it's unclear how many are getting the vitamin C treatment. And of course, to me, it's unclear why all of them are not getting the vitamin C treatment. It's very, very safe. And it probably helps. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? Weber, who is only 34 years old, said vitamin C levels in coronavirus patients drop dramatically when they suffer sepsis, an inflammatory response that occurs when the bodies overreact to the infection. It makes all the sense in the world to try and maintain this level of vitamin C. And now back to my words, and I'm going to wrap up this rant and uh, primary topic, and then I will have time to get into the secondary rant that I want to talk about. But here's my wrap up. Again, vitamin C appears to be effective against most viruses on some level, and at megadoses, probably substantially more effective. We do not have a study yet, although there are three being conducted in China, possibly more, on COVID-19 specifically and its response to vitamin C. But we have all kinds of other studies from the last 70 years that prove what vitamin C does to the human immune system, that proves that when we are under attack from viruses, vitamin C is utilized at a much higher rate and therefore needs to be consumed at a much higher rate. We have evidence that high levels of stress require higher levels of vitamin C. We have evidence specifically against upper respiratory illness, which is what COVID causes, that it reduces symptoms by 85% in other virally caused upper respiratory issues. So while we do not know if vitamin C can kill coronavirus or protect the human body against it, we have plenty of evidence that says that it very well might. We also know that vitamin C is incredibly safe, incredibly safe. So there is no reason, in my opinion, that everybody concerned about this virus shouldn't be taking vitamin C actively as a preventative measure and have plenty on hand in case they actually get ill and that they demand it in an IV if they end up in the hospital with this. We have been fed the line of fear over and over and over again. And the weasels at the CDC all they say is, wash your hands, keep your distance, clean everything with antibacterial wipes, use hand sanitizer, sneeze into your arm sleeve, your elbow, whatever. It's preschool level. It's ridiculous. That's all they've got. Supposedly, some of the world's great medical minds are at the CDC, or at least influencing it. And all they've got is sneeze into your sleeve 
Are you flipping kidding me? We, the people, whether you're in the United States or anywhere else, have to recognize that there is too much money in medicine for them to say anything else. But we also must recognize that our own innate and acquired immune system is strong enough to fight this stuff off all by itself, 95 plus percent of the time, without vitamin C and all the other stuff. Imagine how powerful these immune systems would be if they were taken care of. If we did the things that actually make sense, reduce our sugar intake, eat healthier fruits and vegetables, raw food, take our vitamin C, get our sunlight, and where that's not available, take vitamin D. Do the things that are naturally antiviral like garlic and oregano and olive leaf, colloidal silver, like I talked about last week. All of these things make perfect sense. None of these things are dangerous. What's the worst that can happen? You boost up your body's immune system and still get sick? I guess that's the worst thing. And I guess I'd rather get sick with a healthy immune system that's able to fight it off easier than I would with a weak one. I'm going to cut to a break. When I come back, I'm going to give you one more rant. It's been kind of a ranty show. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. After decades of helping people with their nutritional supplement needs, I have observed something that seems almost universal. People seem to have a lot of products that they have experimented with. Some might have been recommended by a blog or online, others from a magazine article, and yet another by a friend or family member. Information is coming at us at a rapid pace nowadays, and everyone has an opinion. The problem is that there is only one really big wild card in health and nutrition, and that wild card is you. I know you've heard the infomercials, seen the ads, or talked to that neighbor who has that cure-all product that can do it all for your health. The problem is that supplement doesn't exist. What's right for your neighbor isn't always right for you. At Vitality Nutrition, we've been asking the right questions for years. What I mean by this is we don't just sell supplements. We consult with our clients and ask them the key questions needed to make sure we match the right supplement to the right person. If you feel better about a team approach to your health, give us a call and one of our well-educated Vitality team members will answer your questions and help you find just what it is that you need to address your health concerns naturally. You can reach us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or drop us an email, info at vitalityradiopod.com. That's info at vitalityradiopod.com. Welcome back to Vitality Radio. I'm your host, Jared St. Clair, and I'm here with you every week talking about health, nutrition, and all things vitality. Today, I have a little bonus for you here at the end of the show, a bonus rant. But before we get into that, I'll remind you that Vitality Radio is always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful, Utah. If you're listening to this anywhere else, you can give us a call, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. And we can help you over the phone with any of your needs. Right now, of course, we're offering for locals 
the curbside service, if you'd like to call in your order, we can take care of you at the curb. We also are offering something new. Just put this out. But if you'd like to schedule an appointment with me for a Skype, a Zoom, or a phone consult, I'm doing those for free for 10-minute consults. I have uh, limited availability. I probably can do about uh, 20 of them a week max, uh, and uh, some of them are already taken this week. But uh, either way, if you'd like to try and get one of those, please give us a call, 801-292-6662. Okay, so I'm going to go right into it. Another morning rant. In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital rant. All right, so home or hospital birth in the midst of a pandemic. On March 24th, two large hospital networks in New York City banned fathers, doulas, midwives, and any other support person from attending births in their facilities due to fears over COVID-19 spread. That means mom is on her own. Only doctors, nurses, employees of the hospital can be there at the birth. I find this to not be just ridiculous but almost laughable in terms of hospitals actually thinking that bringing a dad or a midwife in is actually going to significantly increase the risks already present in a hospital setting. It's sort of like the pot calling the kettle black. If anything, the dads and midwives are taking a risk by going into these disgusting places. And what do I mean by that? According to the Centers for Disease Control, two million people acquire an infection at a hospital annually in this country, and about 100,000 of those people die. Now, 2 million people, think about that number. That is huge. That's almost 1% of the total population of this country annually getting an infection that they acquire at the hospital, and over 100,000 of those people die. That's roughly one person dying every five minutes due to an infection they picked up in a hospital. And get this, People who acquire infections in a hospital end up, end up staying in the hospital two and a half times longer than people who do not. That is dramatically more danger than any virus we have current concerns about. What's worse is that these hospitals are so short-sighted as to think that a mother and a child would be at lower risk without their support people there than they would be with them there. All you have to do is ask a woman who's had a baby how she would feel about going in and doing it alone. This is a ridiculous stance for these facilities to take, but not a surprising one. Hospitals in this country have long been known for emphasizing drugs and sterility over love and companionship, and stupid practices like waking up sick people to take their temperature. Thank goodness petitions were circulated and Governor Cuomo of New York, who himself is not a genius, signed an executive order two days later to lift the ban. His order still restricts mothers to one care person, so if she has a husband and a doula, for instance, she has to choose. Like I said, he isn't a genius, but at least he's allowing one person in. 
In light of all of this insanity, in many states across the country, starting in the uh, early areas of infection here in America, Seattle area, things like that, lots of women, hundreds, probably thousands, according to what I'm reading, are suddenly opting for home births, which I am sure the hospitals are not happy about. But yay for strong-willed mothers who aren't willing to just bow their heads and accept this idiocy. Before coronavirus, the national rate of home births and birth center births was just over 2%, meaning 98% were delivered in a hospital. Let us hope that one silver lining that comes out of this stupid pandemic is that more moms will recognize that home birth is a safer and better option for all low-risk pregnancies. And if you think I'm just making that up, I'm not. Listen to this study, by far the largest and most comprehensive study of its kind. It examined nearly 17,000 courses of midwife-led care in the largest analysis of planned home birth in the United States ever published. Of particular note is a cesarean rate of just 5.2%. That's a remarkably low rate when compared to the United States national average of 31% for full-term pregnancies. When we consider the well-known health consequences of a cesarean section, not to mention the exponentially higher cost, this study brings a fresh reminder of the benefits of midwife-led care outside of our overburdened hospital system. Home birth mothers had much lower rates of interventions in labor. While some interventions are necessary for the safety and health of the mother or baby, many are overused, are lacking scientific evidence of benefit, and even carry their own risks. Cautious and judicious use of intervention results in healthier outcomes and easier recovery. And this is an area in which midwives excel. Women who planned a home birth had fewer episiotomies, pitocin, or labor augmentation, and epidurals. Most importantly, their babies were born healthy and safe. 97% of babies were carried to full term. They weighed an average of 8 pounds at birth, and nearly 98% were being breastfed at the six-week postpartum visit with their midwife. Only 1% of babies required transfer to the hospital after birth, most for non-urgent conditions. Babies born to low-risk mothers had no higher risk of death in labor on or the first few weeks of life than those in comparable studies of similarly low-risk pregnancies. So, if you're listening to this and if you're planning to have a baby soon or any time in the future, please consider whether there's a COVID-19 pandemic or not, the possibility of a home or birth center birth with a midwife. I'll tell you, I've done it both ways with my children and the only one we did in a birth center, the other three were hospital, was absolutely beautiful, perfect beyond description, quite possibly the greatest day of my life. It was absolutely monumentally beautiful. I can't, I can't describe how beautiful it was. Safe and amazing home births are possible and a reality in this country. And just to think that my two firstborn children were cesarean section babies because it was determined at the hospital that that's what needed to happen. Now, I don't know for sure. I won't know ever if those could have been avoided. Maybe they would have been in the 1% that had to be transferred. But I suspect none of the children would have had to be cesarean section had they been home births or midwife attended births. 
Regardless, I have run out of time, and that is all I have for you today. I hope that you enjoyed this uh, conversation. I hope you enjoyed the information on vitamin C. I've been really, really mulling that over a lot. And vitamin C, as I've been researching it and digging into it deeper, I'm beginning to think might just be one of those things I might have to start recommending on a daily basis. I've been taking it on a daily basis forever, but it hasn't quite cracked my vital five. We'll talk about that later. As it is, thank you so much for listening to me. If you like what you hear, go tell somebody. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Um, Subscribe on any of the other podcast players that you like and share it with your friends and family. Let's get the word of how to avoid drugs and procedures and hospital visits to more and more people in this country so that we can maintain better health and less fear when it comes to our health needs. Thank you so much. I am Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair, produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham, with very limited help from Jared. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.